You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights that help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Asher Matthew, and today I'm super excited to talk to Brendan Dell about narrative strategy. Brendan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, let's dive in. Brendan, tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are. Uh, who I am. So I run a consultancy called B2H, which stands for Business to Human. We're a marketing consultancy in the B2B space. What we do is create un- unignorable tech companies. Um, and the focus of the whole practice is is building businesses where people seek, seek you out for who you are rather than what you do. Uh, so we're trying to build businesses that aren't commodities that stand out apart in the market uh, how far back do you want me to go in terms of how I got here? <laughs> well, everybody who has running a amazing consultancy or an amazing agency, there was some moment in their past that compelled them to do that, right? It'd be super interesting to dive into that piece. So where this came from originally is I was doing a lot of work in the B2B space and as competition started to build over the last 10 years what i started to see you know everybody's experiencing is this a lot a lot of companies started to get pressure in a variety of ways they started to get downward pressure on price it started to get harder and harder to get marketing noticed um and there were at the same time a few companies that seemed immune to this right and we can look at some famous examples like uh, drift is is somebody something else people always talk about, but there's a lot of them that they're sort of defy a category, right? They they stand out as one apart, and I got really curious about what are these people doing differently? Like, why is it that some of these companies seem to like slog it out for every deal? They have a really hard hard time getting noticed. The marketing they'll put marketing out, it just gets crickets, and then other people like every little thing they put out gets. Big likes gets a lot of traction. They're they're at all the you know the major shows, etc. And as I started to get curious about curious about this, I started to notice commonalities about how they went to market, how they grew the brand. And this starts this is at early stage startups and it's at big companies as well. And so we started to notice and put those common practices into place for our clients. And what we started started to see was uh, disproportionately large gains in their results. And so that's sort of the background. Superb. So I'm excited to talk to you about the topic today because this is something that's come up a lot in the last few weeks as I've spoken with, with guests on the show. It's interesting because it almost always comes in in the post-recording interview versus on the podcast. And so, so let's talk about the importance of narrative strategy or the strategic narrative for a company. So can you help us define what narrative strategy is? Yeah, so narrative strategy is a North Star story that guides internal and external activities. And it's essentially a promise for change to your target market. It's a way of saying that today you are here and tomorrow you're going to be there with our help. 
right? Uh, and the importance of it is that, especially as technology, so my primary focus is the tech space, right? In, in technology, but really in all categories, the feature benefit thing that people used to live and die on has become commoditized. Anybody can and will replicate your, you know, the, the widget, the longer lasting element of your widget for the most part. But what they can't do is take your story away, your narrative. And so that's why we started defining these things for companies um, and why they are so important. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's strange. Please. Okay, let's try one more time. Let's re-record. So, Brandon, can you tell us a little bit about narrative strategy and define the concept, please? So, narrative strategy is a North Star story that guides internal culture and external marketing. And the purpose of it is to define a story for change. So, right now, your market is here with a certain set of problems, and tomorrow, you want them to be there in a better world as a result of the work they do with you. And it's something that you own, that differentiates you, and that people understand the promise you make so that you stand out in your market. Terrific. Now, I ask people to define the concept because there's so many different definitions of everything these days, right? But behind the concept, there's always a framework on how do you think about it, right? And so what is your uh, framework for building a narrative strategy or even thinking about a narrative strategy? So the framework that we primarily use has eight elements to it. And depending on how sort of deep we want to go into things, we can talk about each of them. But I think the most you know, the most important concept to grasp is that what you need to do with a narrative strategy is help people to cross a chasm, right? That there is a problem realized or unrealized that they have right now. And that it's difficult to get to this new better state that they may or may not realize they need to get to without help. So the eight elements that we define that we put into these narratives are best customer, that ref- references people who buy the fastest, spend the most, and the re- return the most often. There's a variety of ways you can get to that, right? But at a high level, that's what it is. The, ma- the demand type. What kind of solution are you selling? Is it new concept, new paradigm, established category? Change in stakes. This is something that Andy Raskin defined in his work, which is there's a situation in the world. The world has changed. Past tense. It has already changed. And in the wake of this, there's going to be winners and losers, right? So this thing has happened. There's going to be winners and losers, and people need to, at the very least, pay attention to this change. There's a villain, a thing that stands in the way of change, a promised land, which is an end state for customers, the result. The simple promise is the one-sentence promise for transformation that your market knows and your team knows, the promise you make to everyone. Superpowers refers to this is where you get in a feature, feature benefit. Most people want to lead with this, and it's a mistake. This is where the features support the change you're going to make and then the proof and the results, right? Which is examples of how you're going to help people get there. Uh, A quote I use when describing this all the time is Seth Godin talks about people like us do things like this. That's what marketing is. So you want to show that people like us have used this solution to accomplish something. Sounds like your framework is super hard. People want to actually know about you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so that's great. And and how much time does it take to 
to to do justice to this framework, right? And I'm, I guess I was going to ask, like, how much time does it take totally? But but I would feel that most people don't give it enough time. Mm, that's so it it, it's, it doesn't typically take that long to get to a working version of this. We always approach this iteratively. Um, I think one of the biggest mistakes that companies can make, and I see this in early stage companies as well as in product teams at large companies are operating at scale, is they try to make they, they, they do it based on opinion versus market feedback, right? So we try to get to working versions of this within a few weeks and we bring it to market and we start to see what kind of response we get. And this will often happen by putting it into a teach deck uh, for sales conversations and bringing it to bear there and seeing how people react to the story we're telling. And and how do you do this? Because I subscribe to the, hey, if you're going to work on a strategic narrative or a narrative of any sort that points to the North Star, then the best thing to do is to first work on your sales presentation. Because if you can get the front lines to say it, and then you can test it that way, then the iterative process kicks off from there. How do you do it? Yeah, I like using the sales presentation. And I think it's advantageous for a few reasons. One, if you do it in a digital format, say you build a landing page that tells a story and you're trying to get somebody to opt in, uh, you don't get the live feedback, right? So if it's not working, you're not sure why. Uh, in a sales presentation, you get live feedback from real people and you'll see their faces, right? Are they leaning in? Are they interested? Do they really believe what you're saying? Um, do they get confused when you talk about it? The, when these things are done well, you don't have to explain it. It, it seems self-evident that this change has already happened and that they better start paying attention. And so when it's done right, you see it on people's faces when you're talking to them. And so I'll tell you, I'll give you an example that we face ourselves, right? Like, like there's 7,000 players in the data space. Again, I'm exaggerating, right? But oftentimes people ask you like, hey, what is the difference between you and the next person or them and the next person, right? And and how should people think about differentiating themselves? Or if you're going through the presentation and somebody asks that question, you've got it wrong anyways. Like, like we're, how, guide me. Yeah. So you just said it right there, which is it, you want to change the conversation altogether, right? If you're going head to head saying we're another one of these data providers that can give you X, Y, and Z, right? You are automatically bucketed into the buy when and for how much category, right? They're not looking at you as somebody who's going to provide some more sophisticated or better way of reaching this promised land that you've defined that's helping them avoid this inevitable change or this already, you know, this uh, present change that's taken place. They're coming to you looking for a cheaper price, so what you need to do is change upstream so that when people come to you, they're asking. So we described in the beginning of this, we create unignorable technology companies. What I want is people to come to me and say, I want to be unignorable, right? I don't want them to say I want SEO or I need help writing this thing, right? What I want is somebody to come. How do, I, how do we become unignorable? And that's what you want is some promise for your market where people are going, okay, I want that thing. I want to meet this world. I want to enter this new state that you guys will help me reach. How do we do it? And something that I feel people struggle with is that promise 
doesn't mean that the product needs to exist today or does it mean that the product needs to exist today to help fulfill that promise? <clears throat> Which, how, how do we think about that? Are you, is the question around when to build this in terms of pre-revenue, you know, or, or, or is the, are you saying? No. Uh, so, so when I speak with people that are struggling with these things, right? Like, like they'll say like, oh my goodness, Asher, like, like the way we're building this, the promise seems like it is like 20 years down the line, but our product doesn't even do any of that today. Right. <laughs> and so, 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 so then like, especially in product heavy companies, People are people say, well, we have to make sure that our product is there, and then we're gonna like do this, and then we're gonna do this, and these seven features to help with that, right? To me, it's like you are saying that you're on this mission, you're trying to get people to buy into the mission, and they will help you and support you get the product there by using it. Or, yeah. that, or do that, I have it right again? So I, I, I was speaking to Udi Lettergore, the CMO of Gong a few uh, weeks ago, and his quote was one of the things about I love about marketing and startups is you get to paint a picture that you're three years further along than you really are. And so I think that is almost the job of marketing. He's like, if you look at how much content we put out at Gong, it seems like we're a team of, you know, 30. They're a team of six or something like that. And the whole brand is aspirational, right? It's aspirational in capabilities. It's aspiration in terms of transformation. It's aspirational for the salespeople that they serve. The so I think you need to be aspirational to be influential. Good, good, and and I feel like people need to hear this more and more and more because as engineers, as product people, everybody's like, "Well, the product doesn't do that today." Like I'm mentally stuck, and but my marketing team wants to paint this vision that is like five years from now. But I'm mentally stuck because I'm such a binary thinker, right? I feel people need to like pull themselves out of there. It, and the connective tissue is really the strategy of the narrative and the execution of that narrative are two separate things. But somebody has to cogently tell that story. Well, it's also a North Star for the company, right, to say that we are moving in this direction of trying to create these capabilities, right? And I think when this is done well and it's owned by leadership, the big benefit is that you also can help to prioritize the product features, right, that come in and the requests that you get based on your ability to, to meet this promised land that you create and to, or I should say to create this promised land that you've promised people, right? So I think you need to be aspirational in your vision for things. 100%. And I feel like the CEO needs to own this. Or does the CMO own this? Well, uh, you know, I've heard Andy Raskin talk a lot about how he won't work with anyone unless the CEO owns it. I think that in the ideal state, and I've heard this from folks at uh, HubSpot as well, Brian, who I do not know, but Brian Halligan, the guy who created, you know, one of the co-founders over there was talking, uh, is famous for creating that inbound narrative, right? And they're sort of evolving it now. And I've heard from the team there how important it was to them that he owned and believed in that narrative. I'll say from my experience, it is wonderful when you have an executive team that will do this. It has a different impact on the company. But I also think that when marketing leaders can own this and evangelize it and get in sync with the other revenue teams, right, product teams, with sales teams, that it can be very impactful. And sometimes it drives adoption upstream over time. So in a perfect world, yes, the CEO owns it, but it doesn't always happen that way. Terrific. 
And so let's move into a little bit of the actioning of this framework, right? Like, like as we were talking about, you were going to share a couple of tidbits about effective and ineffective ways to post these narratives on your website. So take us through that. Sure. So I think when you're thinking about flowing these things into execution, the order of your elements is what becomes really important because the way you're going to lay this out in a landing page is there's going to be differences with how you do it in a sales deck and, and other things. And I think the big difference when you think about a website is that you want to have proof up high early on and often, right? Because it's a cold channel. So the framework, and we can give folks wireframes for this that we give to clients if it's helpful for your listeners. But the framework we always use for this is it lays out in the following way. Simple promise, right? Your promise to the market, the thing you want them to remember is the first thing that people see when they get to the page. You're going to have some supporting text and then you're going to show proof, right? And this is ideally in the form of both results and logos. Then you're going to share the change in stakes and the story you're telling starts to become obvious, right? You're telling, you're making a promise for benefit and then you're starting to show the world has changed, right? And there are winners and losers as a result of this. You're going to share the promised land, right? The result you're going to create. You're going to share the villain, which is the thing standing in the way of progress. You're going to then share, finally here at the bottom, your features as the magic salves for this, right? The superpowers. And then you're going to share proof again to close it up where you're asking for the action. Superb. Are there other tidbits that you would like to share with our listeners? I think if you're going to spend a lot of time on something, there are two places that I would encourage people to overinvest and then underinvest. I would overinvest trying to understand what is the shift in the market? What is the dynamic that has changed, this change in stakes? And how do you fit into that? Because getting that imperative right so that people, especially right now, every single organization is going through their financials and saying, what do I need right now? And what can I live without? And every purchase is getting scrutinized that way, right? What is a must have? What is a nice to have? If you can create a compelling change in stakes, you can get people to believe that they need to, whether you or someone else, they need to investigate something to solve for this problem right now, right? So over-invest on getting something that feels real, feels important, and feels like uh, if they don't take action, there's a very real chance of failure in the near future. And then I would say under-invest on the simple promise, which is your promise to the market. And this is where everyone spins. And by underinvest, I mean default to getting your message in front of people and see what sticks. Don't spend weeks uh, arguing <laughs> with the marketing team over what seems most compelling to leadership because the reality is they're not the buyer. So get it in front of people and get some feedback. I love you that you said that because so many times people just get – because everybody's passionate, right? Like they, everybody wants to be a part of it. And if it's going to work, it's going to be glorious. Like everybody wants to like, like have something, some of their flavor on it. Right. Yeah. And, and, and just that entire process, that's such a blocker uh, because you could literally go to LinkedIn and like pay 500 bucks to just get a few ads going just to see if people engage with it. Right. Yeah. And I would say the faster you can put something out there, the, the, the better it is. If you are a startup, Right. Because, but if you're a large, large company, like there could be 
certain issues with your brand that arise from this like rapid experimentation. But that's my view. How, what would you say about that? So here's what I think. I think that a brand is not made from a single communication and anything that you share externally should be something that you're proud to put your stamp on. I think even at large brands, there is so much more risk in deliberating over what's the perfect answer versus getting some feedback from people. And you can limit you can limit the exposure. You can use tools like user testing to get feedback from your market without launching publicly. There's a lot of ways to get fast feedback today um, without making some big, you know, risky move on behalf of your brand. I think I can't tell you how many projects I'm involved in right now where they're on the seventh or 10th iteration of a decision that should have been made months ago. And we would know the answer instead of getting just endless rounds of feedback uh, over what people think might work when we could know if it's going to work or not. Well, Brendan, this has been awesome. I've enjoyed it. I've uh, learned a couple of things myself and, uh, and thank you for sharing your expert feedback. Hey, thanks for, thanks for having me. All right. So a couple of things that we would love to do here on the show. We always love for people to recommend other people that they would like to, to have on the, sh- on the show. So who would be two other guests that we should bring on the show? So Crystal McFerrin, who's the CEO at The 20, is our CMO at The 20, is very bright and a great leader. So I would definitely recommend her. Have you had her on? We have not had her on. All right. So she's definitely someone I would recommend. Um, and you're looking for marketing folks, right? Yes. Or, or anybody in the, go, in, in the go-to-market world. You know, like marketing is great, yeah. sales great, and customer success great, biz devs great. Like, but they, they just have to be passionate about what they're doing. Yeah. You know who you should talk to, if she can do it right now, is Melissa Patterson at Cvent. She's extremely bright as well, uh, and she's got wonderful perspectives on marketing. Perfect. All right. Uh, As we conclude the show, we always try to condense the podcast into a hashtag. So, Brendan, what would your hashtag be? Man, uh, I would say differentiate. I think there's too many folks going – going to market the same way, trying to put out the same kind of content, trying to make the same kind of promises. And then they're confused when the market doesn't lean into it. So, you know, zig when other people zag, go where it's empty, do something different. Uh, Try things, see what happens. That's awesome. And to that, I would just also add, be true to your core competencies. If you don't have a core competency, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? right, because go. because it's just like, like differentiating is awesome, you know, but but like so many people like just don't realize what they have and what they don't have. And then they go market what they don't have. But awesome. I'm, I'm totally in line with you. Like the differentiating is key. All right. Um, what would be the best way for people to get a hold of you? Because I'm pretty positive this podcast is going to get some inter, uh, some uh, reviews and so and some questions and people will want to talk to you sure people can find me on linkedin brendan dell uh they can find our company at b2h the uh the letter b the number two h agency.com or they can email me directly at brendan at brendan 
Perfect. Brennan, again, thank you for coming out to the show and thank you for teaching us about narrative strategy. Uh, best of luck in your journey. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers.